Man, thank you, Lord, for doing that. That risk. Amen. Matthew said it was real. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Everybody good? Well, I need to make a couple things I need to say, okay? For, and I've said this to the first service. As I've been, for some reason, people have been fussing at me lately about my yelling. I yell too much. and I was really not trying to over-spiritualize anything here, but I was asking the Lord to show me where that came from. Actually, I learned that from my mom when I was a kid. My mom was 90 years old. She taught me how to yell when I was a kid. And she got it from her grandma, or from my grandma, who's not with us no more. Her name was Rosie Edwards. And she was a direct descendant of Jonathan Edwards, my grandma. So... So that's why I yell, man. I've got it in me. And when I yell, it just, I know people that can be offended. It feels so good inside of me to yell. I mean, it just feels like God inside of me yelling. So it's okay to whisper too. But uh, we got a special thing we're going to do at the end here. You, you really want to do this. We are going to do a Father's blessing today because it's Father's Day, and we're going to have the fathers to come up and make a, a Father's Blessing fire tunnel <laughs> and let you go through it and get really touched by the Lord. It's special. God really wants to do something. He wants to release something. So Chuck is going to sort of lead that, and, and I, I was really, I went through it and got blasted, man. In the first service, it's real good. So you're going to want to do that. Because uh, it's in the heart of a father to bless and give. That's what a father really does. A real father's heart is always wanting to give out, is always wanting to bless. It's crazy, man. It'll mess you up. You'll go broke as a father in the natural realm with your desire to bless your family. Amen. Well, I want to share this message with you this morning that I've been wanting to share for a long time. And finally, I have the, the, the ability to do it today. And the name of the message, we have a, a nice thing there called Digging the Wells of Revival. And the Lord really started speaking to me about revival wells for a long time. And specifically this morning, being that it's Father's Day, and I'm doing a special Father's Day message. And y'all should who know me well know I don't do special messages. <laughs> I can't, I'm not good at special days, but this one is. It's, I want to focus on one well, or one type of well. It's our Father's well. Okay, the wells of revival that our fathers dug in this nation that God wants us to open. Because those, those wells should have never been clogged up. But they were, they have been, but God's going to open up those. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't dig some wells. There's new wells being dug, but we're not talking about the new ones today. Maybe in a couple of weeks we'll talk about new ones. But I want to read Genesis 26, uh, verse 12 through 18. I guess one of Dean's kids, man, one of Dean's grandkids. It's the Jewishness in them. <laughs> It says in verse 12, it says, now, now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now that's a, that's a, a reap, a hundredfold. How many of you would like to have a hundredfold return on what you've sown? I'm serious. If you would like that, raise your hand right now. Lord, I want a hundredfold what I've sown on every level, on, except the bad stuff. 
In fact, I, 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 this is what I used to pray. Lord, I'm sowing bad seeds. Please, I'm praying for crop failure. <laughs> That's the bad seed. The good seed, the, the, the things that I have sown towards the Lord with a sincere heart, God, I pray for every person that we would get a hundredfold return, just like Isaac did. That's our inheritance, Lord. And the Lord blessed him, obviously. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And I think the Lord wants to make the body of Christ wealthy, okay, on lots of levels. And I believe even naturally God wants to make us wealthy and put us in a place to be entrusted with true wealth. Uh, but for sure, true wealth spiritually. But I do believe that God wants to make us wealthy on the natural level where the world will come to us like they did in the time of Joseph. And we will have something to offer them spiritually and in the natural. For he had possession of all flocks and herds and a great household. Everybody say great household. God wants to make his household great. He wants to make his house great, a great household in the earth. I really believe that's his heart, to make the body of Christ a great household, a great family in the earth that's just really, that's really powerful. So that the Philistines envied him. Now, the Philistines in the Bible speak of the flesh. I'm not going to tell you why they do, because it might embarrass you. But they, uh, I, I used to work with a lot of Jewish people, okay, and they were pretty rough with each other. And that's when they would get mad with each other, that's what they would call the, their Jewish friend, Philistine. They knew what it meant, okay? It was a bad thing to call a Jew, calling another Jew a Philistine was a bad thing. That's how they would get back at each other. I worked with some, some Christian women. They called each other Jezebels when they get mad at each other. So sort of along those same lines. So God really wants to make the body of Christ the envy of the world, okay, instead of the joke of the world. In lots of ways, we've become a joke in, in our nation, and God, but God wants to change that. He wants to give his family something where we're, we're in envy instead of, instead of being made fun of. Now all the wells of his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father's. The Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth or filling them with dirt. So that's what's happened in, in, in uh, Isaac's time. The wells of Abraham, his father, uh, were filled in. They were filled in by, by the flesh. And that's what's happened to a lot of the wells of revival that have been dug in the United States of America. They have been filled in with, with dirt. They've been filled in with the flesh. They've been filled in with carnality. They've been filled in with formalism and religion. And all those things, they have filled them in, and, we've, and the flow of those waters have stopped. But Isaac took note of, his, of this situation. And God's calling us this morning to take note of those wells. He's calling us to take note of the wells of revival in America. And he wants us to think about those wells and begin to open those wells up again so that we can begin to enjoy them. Now, Abimelech, who is a Philistine dude, said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And that's just another thing that God wants to release the church. He wants to, you know, not to have a form of godliness without power. God wants a powerful church in the earth. And I believe that's what he's going to have, that where the world will recognize that the church really is, is, is power. And you don't, it's like Matthew saying, It's real. It's not, people are not going to have to say it. They're going to know it's real because we're so, God has invested his power in us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar. Gerar means a, a pilgrimage. 
And I believe that really could speak to some of us this morning. Pilgrimage. Are you on a pilgrimage with the Lord? Are you going somewhere with God? Or have you stopped in your life? Have you parked somewhere? And if you, you know, if you've parked, God is saying, get up, let's get on, we're going somewhere. There's somewhere to go in the Spirit. There's somewhere to go. God's calling people to go somewhere with Him. He's wanting to take the body of Christ somewhere. He wants to take you and I somewhere in the realm of the Holy Spirit. There's places to go in the Spirit that we've not gone yet. He wants to take us. I don't know about you. Okay, I've wondered about this recently, but when I talk about the Holy Spirit River being a real river, I'm going to tell you why it's a real river to me, because I actually see a river, and I actually feel a river. Okay? I mean, I don't know about what everybody else does, okay? But I can only tell you what I know. That's what, my, what I need to do. But this morning, what I see in the river this morning, I see the river has, got, has gotten deeper. Okay? I mean, the river's deeper, and there was a wind on the river. And that means acceleration, that God is bringing a new level, a new level of acceleration, a new level of depth. And we know the river is the Spirit. Okay? But there is a real Spirit river. And this real Spirit river, I'm telling you, I'm testifying to you what I saw. And what I'm seeing and feeling is this river has gotten deeper all of a sudden. Okay? And it's got a wind on it now that has meant, meaning that God has brought us to a new place and He wants to accelerate us now. He, there's a new level of acceleration that God's releasing now and you can connect. Now, I don't know what you feel and what you sense. Okay? I really don't. But this is real. I'm going to just tell you that. So you can, by faith, tap into it. Uh I just wanted to say that to you because it's, because it's there. And, I, and so Isaac went to Gerar and settled there. So we gotta, here's what we've got to do. We've got to settle. We have to settle some things. I think, here, people, you've got to settle some stuff about what God's doing. You, there's no going back. I'm telling you, this is a great word somebody gave me when the Lord first started moving our church. I got this word from three or four different people. The bridges are burned. That's what they said. You can't, there's nowhere to go back, Byron. You can only go this way. You can't go back the way you were. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that wonderful? Guess what? Recently, I got that word again. Somebody came. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm just telling you, you cannot go back. There's no turning back. I believe God birthed something recently in our church. I believe He birthed us into a new level of the Spirit, a new realm of the Spirit. There's something new. There's something that God's releasing right now that, he, that hasn't been before. That's why I think the depth and the wind, which I haven't really experienced the wind and the water together. I mean, I'm excited about that. You know, the wind of the Spirit, the water of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost fire. Yeah, that baby likes that stuff, man. Yeah. So I'm just telling you this stuff. All right. It says in 18, Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. So part of what God wants us to do, okay, is redig those wells, to open those ancient wells up. Now, that does not mean we go back to that, because that's just ridiculous. God will not even let us go back to that in the realm of the Spirit. Okay, but what it means is we take from... God's historical work and bring it into our presence because it's available to us. Those wells never went away. They're still in our nation. 
Okay, they're still there, and they've been stopped up. They've been filled up with dirt. They've been filled up with lies. They've been filled up with skepticism and, and formalism and whatever ism that there is that's not a good ism. And God really wants to tell us, unstop those wells because there's power in those wells still. So uh, I was going to tell you about a dream I had, and I'm going to just tell you a bit of it because I can't tell you. But I had this dream. This is one of these God dreams. I have some God dreams. I love dreams. Is it, do y'all dream? I'm talking about where God really speaks to you in the dreams. I had a dream this morning. I didn't tell Becky about it, but Bob Jones came to me in this dream. We was talking, and I was telling him something. He said, well, there's something lacking there between me and David. There's something that you're not seeing that you need to address with your life. Isn't that a good word from the Lord? You might think God coming into a dream admonishing you, but I found out something when God... Uh, yeah, she's liking it. Because <laughs> she's been telling me that. So yeah. Why you need Bob Jones to tell you in a dream? I've been telling you that forever. <laughs> not listening. <laughs> but this is the truth about God chastising and admonishing us. It is the glo- it's glorious. I'm telling you it is. It, there's a glory attached to it. When God says to you, Son, 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 you don't have enough passion. Now that, you could be insulted. There you go, what did he say? Give me more. Oh no, Lord, I don't have enough passion. That's the heart that God wants us to have. Instead of the insulted heart, well, why are you telling me I don't have enough passion? You know, when God says, oh, there's a lack there, there's a disconnect there in the marriage. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for telling me, Lord, because you want to do something more in my marriage. It's not that God wants to insult or hurt us. He wants to help us. And I think the, the wounded heart, the messed up mind, the messed up thinking, or the person who's ruled by their logic will take it as an insult. I tell you what, when the Lord started moving our church, He told me, it was like, you know, Byron, really, the truth is, this is an indictment against you. That's what it is. This is an indictment. You're, this church is not where it's supposed to be, and I'm doing this to get you. I think, oh, what a glorious indictment. Come on, Lord, indict me more if that's what you're going to do. You, can't, you understand what I'm saying? Holy Ghost comes. It's an indictment against you. I wouldn't have to do this if, I, if you weren't do, if you're doing what you're supposed to do. Come on, indict more. I want more, Lord. I do. Y'all understand that? I want you to get that because that will help you a lot with the Lord. So, anyway, back to Claudio Frieson. Back to the dream. Anyway, Claudio Frieson. Everybody, know, who does not know who Claudio Frieson is? What race you know? Claudio, in the 1980s, now Jim knows, and Luis can tell you more details on this. In the 1980s, a revival began in Argentina by under a man named, uh, what's his name? Anaconda. Anaconda. Not the snake. Anacondia. <laughs> this man was an evangelist. This revival began with him in the 80s. Now, I want you to understand something. Look at this. There's a picture here, okay? In the 90s, that revival began, the leadership of that revival began to shift from the revivalist, the, the uh, evangelist, into a pastoral guy named Friesen, Claudia Friesen. And even though the evangelist continued... Friesen became a, more of a focal point of the revival. He sort of took over the main... In other words, it came into the church and there was leadership from the church versus le- just leadership from the evangelists. So y'all got that? understand what I'm saying? Is that right? Is that pretty... Okay, so what happened... So Friesen was a main person in this revival up through, in the 90s and 
you know, God really had used him and continues to use him in a very powerful way in Argentina and in the whole world. I mean, he's been all over the world. People have gone to Argentina just to get prayed for by him. And when they do, something happens, and suddenly things happen. Well, John Arnott went down there before the Toronto blessing began and up in Toronto back in the 90s. got prayed for by Friesen and went home. And then Randy Clark shows up, and, you know, they've got this ongoing the Father's blessing. So Friesen's a pretty significant person in our time as a revivalist and pastoral revivalist kind of guy. Anyways, I wanted to let you know that because he came to me in this dream, okay? And he said, I'm going to tell, show you how to build a foundation that can absorb everything that God's going to do in your country. And I'm thinking, wow. And he said to me, he said, you have got to do everything I tell you because if you don't, you will fail to be able to receive everything God's going to do. This is what I got out of that statement. God is going to pour His Spirit out on, in this nation, period. There's an outpouring coming that has nothing to do with what we do or don't do. The key for us is being able to receive it all. And what He showed me, okay, in this dream, what I saw was I saw a mud puddle. Do y'all know what a mud puddle is? Well, when I grew up, my school had mud puddles in the schoolyard. You know, it would just rain, and the rain, it would pour down rain, and the ground couldn't soak all the water in. So it would puddle up, and it would become nasty. And then over a few days, it would sort of dry out. And honest to God, I don't know why this, but there's always a shoe in that thing. Somebody said somebody was walking through the mud puddle, and their shoe got stuck. They just left it. There's shoes, there's trash, there's rocks, there's just junk in the mud puddle. And that's what will happen to you and I when God begins to borrow His Spirit. We're going to get a lot, period. Okay? But we won't get it all, and there'll be puddles, and it will become muddy, nasty water. Okay? And that's what Claudia was trying to warn me about, is you've got to do And he said, you've got to, it's like this. The criteria I'm giving you, you've got to do it, or there'll be failure. You won't be able to receive it. It was a serious dream, and he told me a lot of things. But the one thing I wanted to talk to you about today that I think is, is the, the important thing for us at, on Father's Day is, is the wells of our Father, that we have to be able to receive, we have to get those wells open along with the new thing that God's going to do. Amen? Or, and the new thing that God has begun to do. Because He ain't just is going to, He's begun. So uh, I wanted to give you this one scripture that actually came in the dream, it came to my mind, in the dream. Think about that in a dream. You had a dream, oh, there's a scripture on that. It's Jeremiah 6, 16. It, uh, y'all know this. It says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. There's these ancient ways. There's these ancient wells. There's these ancient things that God has done that He's saying to the church, You can't forsake those things. Don't forsake them. And one of the main, the, one of the things that has touched me, and I believe is one of the critical Wells in this nation was the First Great Awakening. Okay? Now, I've talked to some to you about that First Great Awakening. It's been a while, but this is one of my most uh, fascinating you know, revival subjects. And I want to read some things to you about the First Great Awakening. I want, to get, I want you to listen to this. This is profound, okay? About this, the First Great Awakening that happened in the late 1730s, early 1840s. Okay, that's when it actually happened. Back when we were a colony, 
You know, 13 colonies. I guess that was that right? That was that then, 13? 35 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the preaching of Jonathan Edwards sparked a national spiritual revival and ushered in Colonial America's Great Awakening 35 years before the Declaration of Independence. During that revival, the nation's spiritual fervor united with its political energy and prepared the, the colonies to defy British tyranny. Did you hear what I'm saying to you? This revival stirred these people up so much that they got in their heart there's, there needs to be something that changes here in this, na in this nation. Okay? The Great Awakening and its long-term effect in the colonies helped birth the American Revolution. That's profound, isn't it? With its demand for freedom and democratic government. Okay? Uh, but it was not the colonies alone. The move of the Spirit in the 1740s is directly responsible for the ongoing spread of democracy today to nations around the world. Now, do y'all get what I'm saying to you? That well that God opened in this nation in the 1740s is any country in the world that's learning democracy or trying to get democracy, okay, can be traced back to a move of God in this nation in the 1740s. This is what happened. There's a guy named Robert Hunt. Y'all know old Robert, don't you? He showed up here in 1607, April of 1607. Jamestown... Pastor, the first one who came in as a pastor for this nation, first pastor, he didn't he live about a year. That's <laughs> about all he made it over here. I could tell you lots about old Robert. I've studied that man deeply to find out about him. He was not a great guy. He didn't come up. His background was bad, so that should encourage you. But Robert Hunt, when, <laughs> does me, man. I was not a great guy. Man, if you can use him, God, you can use anybody. God used this man. Let me show you how he used him. They landed here in 1607 at Virginia Beach, which became the Jamestown colonists. This man calls for a three-day time of prayer and fasting. That's what he did, the first thing they did. He erects a cross at the end of three days, gets up, and dedicates the new world, which, la la, we're the new world, dedicates the new world to God and to the preaching of the gospel worldwide. That was the destiny and purpose of, our, of the United States of America. It was given to God, it was dedicated to God, and to the preaching of the gospel worldwide. Sometimes, over a hundred and some years later, somebody got a hold of Jonathan Edwards, and something got a hold of him, somehow the Holy Spirit did something and revealed to those people that destiny, that purpose will never be fulfilled under British tyranny. And God released a revival so that the early colonies could connect with the original purpose and original destiny for America. Because we, we would never be able to fulfill it. So God brought a move of revival now, which turned into a spiritual awakening. Revival is for us, Christians. Okay? The church. The church is the one that needs revival. The world ain't got nothing to revive. They've been dead. They were never alive. That's spiritual awakening. That's why they call it the Great Awakening. Because the world, the nation was affected. So that's what God did to take this young, fledging nation and connect it with its original purpose. And that's really... I, I, 
you know, all the wealth and all the blessings that we have in America today is for that original purpose. It's not just for us to consume it on ourselves, although we can enjoy it. You know, I'm not... But the purpose is for the preaching of the gospel worldwide. That's the purpose for the wealth. And, and I believe our nation will stand until that purpose is completed. And then, you know, whatever happens next. But that's so encouraging, isn't it? What I'm telling you, this is a wonderful well that God wants us to open back up. Now let me read, read to you about this well. I'm going to read some more historical facts about this well. Are y'all good? Are you, is everybody connected here? In 1743, Jonathan Edwards, whose wife... Now listen to this. Jonathan Edwards, I want you all to get this about Jonathan. Most of you know it. You get any systematic theology book that is produced from American theologians, and Jonathan Edwards is one of the primary people who have influenced that. In fact, he has been called America's greatest theologian. The man was an absolute genius. He, was, he later became the dean, president, or whatever of Princeton University, although he didn't last long. He died shortly after that, but he was that caliber of a human being. I don't know what happened to my line that got hooked up with him. We didn't turn out that well. We didn't get all them brains. <laughs> but he was a powerful guy. So I want you to get this. I'm telling you that just to let you know I want to remind everybody in here about your mind, about your logic. It's a gift from God. It's a wonderful gift as long as it's the servant and not the master. Okay? Your mind is a wonderful gift from God meant to serve the spirit part of us. The moment it becomes the master, well, it's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and things don't work very good. You can't understand the Bible with that. You can't understand what God's doing with that. Well, that don't look like something God would do. You're looking at it with your logic of mind. Of course it doesn't. Anyways, let me get this. I want to get back to this. In 1743, Jonathan Edwards, whose wife lay under the power of the Spirit for 17 days. 17 days. And we can blame out somebody laying around here for an hour. <laughs> he described manifestations occurring in his congregations during colonial America's greatest great awakening. Edwards said, there were some instances of persons lying in a sort of trance, remaining for perhaps a whole 24 hours motionless. That's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, and with their senses locked up, but in the meantime under strong imaginations as though they went to heaven <laughs> and had there a vision of glorious and delightful objects. I'm telling you, that's what was happening in our nation in the 1740s. People were having heavenly encounters. They were having heavenly visitations. They were going up into the third heaven. And the third heaven was coming down to them. Now listen to this. About the same time, Samuel Johnson, dean of Yale University. Now think about old Yale University. Those are smart people. And this guy's the dean. said, oh, Samuel was no dummy. Wrote a friend in England about those whose bodies are frequently in a moment affected with the strangest convulsions and involuntary agitation and cramps, <laughs> which also have sometimes happened to those who came as mere spectators. People just came to see. And, and the Lord jumped on them and put these cramps on them. <laughs> these agitations. 
Now listen to what he said about himself. Twice in my bed at night, I experienced a lightning bolt of holy power so incredible, incredible that both times I thought I was dead. It was impossible seemingly to survive such a charge of electricity. One of those times I jolted from my sleep to find my body still jerking from the power. Now see, what I want you to connect is what I just read with you, what I read to you at first about the result, the, the 200, over 250 years results. This is what was happening to people. God was blasting them. A lot of those people got up from being blasted and became soldiers in a revolutionary war and fought for freedom of this country. Yet we have a body of Christ today in America that rejects all of this. They don't want anything to do with this, not knowing this is our spiritual heritage and that we desperately need to open this thing back up and we need to get over all this stuff and quit complaining about it and get in with what God's done and what He wants to do. Let me just read this one other thing about the Cane Ridge Revival, which started out in 1801. That was like the beginning of the Second Great Awakening, which really helped this country bear through the Civil War. It really helped our country get through that in one piece and not be absolutely destroyed. In, 18, in the 1801 Cane Ridge, Kentucky Revival, as many as 500 were slain in the Spirit at the same time. I mean, 500 people getting mowed down like somebody had a machine gun shooting them. I read about this one account. There was a 10-year-old boy preaching, 10-year-old boy, preaching, standing up in a limb of a tree. And he ended his thing on, guess what? It was uh, John 7, 37, talking about the river of God. And he took his arm and went that way, 10-year-old boy, and they said, they said thousands fell under the power of the Spirit. Foul, and there weren't no catchers. They were bouncing off the ground. So what I want you to see this morning is we live in a democratic society that has promoted democracy all over the world. And I will admit, and all of us will admit, democracy is not the highest form of government. But it is man's highest form. God's government is the highest form. God being in charge of everything. He's flat boss. Everything he says goes. But man has not been able to figure out how to get that yet. But democracy is much better than communism, much better than socialism, and much better than having some evil di dictator that, you know, like different people who were dictators. You know, yeah. Now, I want to read, I'm going to read some of the results of the Great Awakening, some other ones. The first one I read to you is the most powerful one. But I want to encourage you, God wants us to open that well. God, that well still has water in it. That well is still alive. It's meant to flow. Okay, now here's some of the other results that are just profound. One of the major results of Great Awakening was to unify four-fifths of Americans in the common understanding of the Christian faith. Think about it. Our nation today, four-fifths of the nation were going after God based on this move of God. Four-fifths, that's a lot of people. Uh, dissent, dissent and dissenters enjoyed greater respect than ever before. It's number two. Listen to this. Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians, all non-established groups. In the 1740s, they were not mainline denominations. They were people like us, just sort of floundering around here, just little, little groups of people. We're, we're Baptists. Well, what the heck's a Baptist, man? What kind of cult is that? <laughs> president? No, nah, man, we're president. Man, forget y'all. 
Y'all ain't right. The Puritans were in charge in those days. Congregationalists is what they call them. Uh, Bridget, all of took root and grew. Think about it. Some of the mainline denominations who have rejected, and I'm just saying this in a generic sense, rejected the move of God, rejected what God's doing. Without that move of God then, they would not exist today. Y'all hear that? This is important. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good thought. All right, listen to this one. This is powerful. Great emphasis came to be placed on education. George Whitfield founded. George Whitfield was a preacher from England that came over here and, and was sort of an evangelist kind of preacher. Uh, he founded the school that would later become the University of Pennsylvania. George Whitfield. And to get a hold of this, all you Tar Heel fans. Anybody, any Tar Heel fans in here, raise your hand. Good. <laughs> University of North Carolina was originally a Presbyterian effort. The first generation of faculty were all Presbyterian ministers. The focus on education was rooted in a concern for souls, but it also reflected the fact that if the ground is level at the foot of the cross, education should be available for everybody. That's it. Think about it. Getting slain in the spirit, jerking, cramps, blah, blah. And what comes out of it? University of North Carolina. Paula. <laughs> I mean, these are pretty profound evidence of God. what God does when he moves. Listen to this one. A greater sense of responsibility for Indians and slaves, slaves emerged from the revival. George Whitfield, for instance, was, was among the first to preach to blacks. The experience... Uh, this, uh, revival experience was common to both whites and blacks, making both aware that the ground at the ground level is, is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Race is, is irregardless at the foot of the cross. Now listen to this. This led the church to denounce slavery as sinful. I'm talking in the 1740s. The church was saying this is wrong, and it took everybody 120 years to get over, you know, to fix it in a war, but it did get over. Uh, the first general conference of the Methodist Church stated that slaveholding was sinful and if you held slaves, you would be expelled from the Methodist Church for being a slaveholder. That's powerful. And that's, that's what happened. One of the things that's going to happen, we're going to see that in this country because there's a lot of racism in our country. Like there are every country, I suppose. But I know in our nation, racism is a problem continues to be a problem. But we're going to see in this move of God that God is going to go after that spirit that, that operates behind racism. He really is. And we really need to learn how to treat the races with respect. Now, I really feel that. We've had two dreams recently. I haven't, but two people in this church have had dreams about, about racial issues. And I believe they're warning dreams. Okay? They're warning dreams because God wants... I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth. This is what I believe God... God wants to fill our church up with black people. I'm serious. Because when the revival comes, there's no walls between blacks and whites. You know, it's not this thing everybody says, well, you, black people would come to your church if you did certain kind of music. Forget all that. People are going to join where the Lord is. And, and, and their race needs to be irrelevant, but, but people need to be educated how to respect each other and treat the races right and fairly. And that's what we've got to have in the church because if we don't have it in the church, how can we have the world? How, how can the world have it? 
You know, so I really believe the racism thing is something that we're going to see in this revival that God's bringing about. He is going to go after tooth and nail in our churches, in all the churches, and I, I pray He does. Because there's a spirit behind us, an evil spirit, meant to divide men and women from each other and from the Lord and hurt people. Okay, let me read this one. I'm, I'm almost done. Okay, are y'all good? All right, number five, the, the Great Awakening also reinterpreted the meaning of the covenant between God and His creatures. In Puritan theology, that was what those guys, that was what John and everybody, he was a Puritan. That's what came over here, Puritans. Y'all get the word Puritan, pure. They were into, that was like the holiness thing came out of the Puritans. They, it, they had some good stuff. But in their theology, the focus was on what God had done for us. Good focus, right? It starts there. God's done something for me. But in the aftermath of the awakening, the new emphasis was, was on what man does in response to God's great gift. In other words, the responsibility for salvation of the world is not only God's, but it's ours with God. In other words, God has a call on mankind to demonstrate salvation to the world. It wasn't just something that God's going to do and, oh, thank God He saved those poor sinners. No, God wants you and I to save, help save those poor sinners. You know? And I think that emphasis of us being co-laborers with Christ and taking that on a per, taking it personal, seeing yourself, I'm a co-laborer with Christ. God, I am a part of the family of God. I am a part of expanding this family farm called the kingdom of God. I'm part, it's my, part of my job to care for this, this farm, to care for it, to see its borders expanded. That's what revival will do to people. It gives them that. All right, uh, this is a great one for all the people who love the freedom in the Holy Ghost, man. I mean, there was a complete dissolving of the theocracy, okay? Meaning this, in those days, the pastors controlled the spiritual life of the people. They were in charge. The pastors were. They were in charge of you. you. You'd be like, well, hey, Byron's in charge. Like, he tells me how much to read the Bible. He tells me when to read the Bible. He tells me how long to pray. That's the way it really worked. And, and they only could listen to what they said. Now, one of the things a lot of people don't know in those Puritan churches, the bad thing is they required their preachers to preach at least one hour. You had to preach an hour message, which would be terrible. I'm thinking, what if you didn't have anything to say? And you've got to get up there and fake it for an hour thinking about that from that poor preacher. But they also, people would go to sleep because they obviously didn't have much to say. <laughs> they would actually hit, they had this, these people, who, I guess it was the elders of the church, walk around and hit people with these little sticks. Wake you up. I mean, that's what the way the Christian, but when that, when this revival came, it broke all that. And the people of God began to, began to get the works of God back in their hands. Again, where they realize this is mine. This don't just belong up here on the pulpit. This belongs to me. And no man should be able to dictate to me my spiritual life. Now, God appoints shepherds and stuff to help us, to come alongside us, but He don't appoint dictators in the church. He's the only dictator. And the Lord, Lord took that away from man. That was, a, that was a powerful one. All right, now, number six, and I'm almost through. There was a breakdown in theological consensus. Okay, there was a breakdown. The new lights is what they call them, the revivalist, versus the old lights, traditional orthodox. There was this breakdown between the two. Those who wanted to adapt their faith to changing times and circumstances versus those who wanted to hang on to the old order. 
And we're going to have that. We can expect there's going to be some who want to just hold on to what was, don't want to move on with God. This is the way it's all, you know, we like this. And God said, no, this is what we're doing now. There will be those breakdowns. And we had to accept that. And there was then. The new lights versus the old lights. All right, the next one is uh, one of the things the awakening did. It responded to the needs of people for, re for reassurance and directions and to help give them release from anxiety. In other words, people were helping their hearts, their, their soul realm. They had inner healing. They had deliverance. They got their life helped. God wants to help people. And finally, number eight, it served to revive a sense of spiritual mission. Everyone believed there was some greater purpose behind the revival. God's kingdom must be near. Is that good? That's the well I'm talking about this morning, that God wants to open that well up to us again so we can begin to feed off that well and we can begin to benefit from the things that well gave our nation. That's the well of our fathers that God wants to open. And now, now I just want to, we're fixing to do shift and something, but I want to say something to, 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 uh, to you guys, okay? And I already said it in the first service, sort of got it off my chest. I don't even feel like saying it again. <laughs> say it again. I am going to say it because I think this is really important. In the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, starting I think around verse 12 or so, 10 or 12, something like that, John the Apostle explains to us the makeup of the church. And he talks about fathers, young men, and children. So first I want to tell you this. The church is in great, this church is in great need of spiritual fathers and mothers. Great need. Listen, please, if you are a father, rise up. We need you. That's a healthy church. We, we need the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to rise up. And I'm afraid what has happened with my generation, which, you know, I'm in the 50s, a lot of you guys seem like to me you're retired in place, honestly. It seems like to me you're really not functioning the way you should be. Now, I'm going to tell you this. This is what I see happening in the body of Christ. See, there's an acceleration going on, and here's the way acceleration works. Is it going to take you out there, or are you going to feel like you're going backwards because those are pushing away from you? This is what I'm seeing right now. I've seen this generation of, you know, Matthew Bollinger, Marlon, people of that age, really come. They've come. And I mean, some of the older people got offended about them. But I'm telling you, defense is going to grow. There's another generation of guys right behind them that are bumping on, that's going to bump on them. They're 25-year-old guys preaching to thousands of people now. They have been Christians four or five years that's starting to hap happen in the church right now. I'm talking about a whole bright, brand new crop of young men and women that are, God is raising up, that God has accelerated them and brought them up, up pretty quick, real quick. And God is going to use those people. He really is going to use And can you imagine? I can't, I'm thinking about these kids, 9 and 10 years old. When them kids get about 17 years old, if we, they'll walk all over the top of us. You know, I mean, seriously, they, and we want them to. But see, there's an acceleration that's happening now with the different generations. And, and, and the Bible says David served God in his generation. David served God in his generation. I mean, his entire life, he was active in serving the Lord and what God was doing. And God is looking for, for the generations to come together. 
but he's looking for some spiritual fathers and mothers. Okay? He's looking for some spiritual fathers and mothers. When I was in the engineer world, I was just I was in my late thirties and I had seventy people working for me, and some of those people were sixty-eight, sixty-nine year old engineers who'd been engineers fifty years and knew more than I could ever know. Okay, and some of them were very brilliant and quite good employees, but there was a few, there was a few that we would sit around. These guys are these guys are retired in place. All they're doing is drawing a paycheck and bleeding the company down because all they're doing is just marking time. I had one guy, you know what he told me? He said, Byron, I'm going to tell you something right now. One of these days, if you stay here long enough, you're going to come out here and find me dead because I'm going to die at this desk because I'm never retired. I'm never quitting. Now, I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. I mean, I like that attitude. I like it spiritually. Okay? And my thing is, is we've got older people who quit. They just quit. Just wrong. You're not supposed to quit. You've got to rise up. God's calling the older. That's why I'm saying we need to open the wells of our fathers. We need to get that anointing flowing. We, the church, needs what you have. Because I'm going to tell you something about those 25-year-old guys. They still need fathers and mothers. They may have these great anointings on them, but they still need older people speaking into their lives. Now, I've found it a great joy to have young people speak into my life, actually. Old people. If you're too proud to let a young person speak into your life, you're making a big mistake. Because they bring something. Their generation brings something that I don't have. from my, And I need them. See, I need them. But they need me. We need each other. The generations need each other. And my appeal to you today, and I'm going to appeal specifically to the older ones, okay? Because I don't, you know, the young ones, hey, they'll knock you down, man. I mean, that's why I don't got to appeal to them, man. They're going to run over you, you know. Hey, please take it easy on me. Now I'm old. But I am appealing to the older ones in here today, okay? For you to rise up. And take concern for what God's doing. Take concern for the people of God. Take, you know, in, involve yourself in the move of the Holy Spirit. Get into what God's doing now. Oh, bring what you have to the table. Bring it. God, we need it. We need what you have. The church needs it. The, the church needs the fathers. It needs the young men to, you know, bust hell open because that's what they do, you know. Go read that in 1 John chapter 2. And we need the children. Keep us humble and teach us about loving God. Staying childlike before the Lord. Receive from God. And, and I, I think God wants to use the children to teach us too. So.